We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Barcelona podcast. We are Dan Hilton and Frances Tomas from Barcelona.com, bringing you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp Nou. If you are new here, consider subscribing and at any point during the podcast, check out the links and exclusive deals that we have shared with you in the description, including, of course, our favorite Fubo TV. Now let's get started. Frances, how are you doing today? We, we're here. We're ready. And um, let's get started. Well, Frances, in the last week, we have had plenty of feedback on social media, particularly on Facebook, where our first question comes from Charlie. It looks like our next manager is Ernesto Valverde, and well, it is Ernesto Valverde that has been confirmed. Now, Charlie isn't sure if it was the right choice to go with Valverde, Um, a decent but not stunning record with Bilbao, though he did do well at Olympiacos, and he wants to know, Frances, what we think. Well, we think that Valverde was the right appointment. Uh, we talked about it in episode one of, uh, of our podcast. He has what it takes. Um, he's experienced. He obviously has never coached a team of the caliber of Barca, but um, he's got plenty of experience in Spain and beyond, uh, having managed Bilbao in two different stints, having managed Espanyol, and uh, obviously having experience in the Greek league, uh, being successful at different levels, you know, because the expectation is different. But um, Valverde, definitely the right choice at this moment in time. Um, a lot of people were sort of tipping Unzue, uh, who has been obviously Luis Enrique's man- um, assistant manager for the last three seasons and, and even when they were together at Celta. Uh, but he just didn't have it. He is raw in his managerial career. Obviously, ha- having worked alongside Luis Enrique means that he knows the players really well. It also means that he knows the tactics and all the procedures and stuff. But ultimately, he really he wasn't ready at this moment in time. And uh, the players needed someone else to come and, and take the reins. Um, with that in mind, looking at the market and looking how Ernesto Valverde already knows the Camp Nou because he was here in the, from 1988 to 1990 as a player, uh, I think is the right choice. Yeah, and of course, he, he actually went to uh, Celta. Yeah, yeah, Unzue has signed for Celta, which um, I strongly believe is the right move for him. Um, it's a club that like playing attacking football. It's a club that he knows really well, and obviously the board knows him well as well. And um, I think it's a very good choice for him. But um, maybe in the future he can, co- he can come to us. But, but the time belongs to Valverde now at the Camp Nou. 
Yeah, I, I think Valverde, I mean, my initial gut reaction is that he's one of those guys that was a good player, um, but has the potential to be a great manager. You know, and we've seen we've seen that a bunch, particularly in the Liga. And so Valverde, you look at his career as a as a player, one appearance for Spain, forty four goals and one hundred and seventy appearances for Athletic Bilbao, and you know that's where, of course, he made the name. Prior to that, you had mentioned he had been with Barcelona. He won a Copa del Rey and he UEFA Cup Winners Cup, and he made seventy two appearances for Espanyol as well in three seasons prior to Barcelona, scoring sixteen goals there. Um, so he had some success as a player, but then you look at his as manager, and I do have some numbers for you, Frances. Of course, he started four years of the Bilbao system in the 2003-2004 season. His team finished fifth, and that's how they qualified for the UEFA Cup. Then, with three years with Espanyol, he also released—I mean, excuse me—he also reached the UEFA Cup final, which is now the Europa League or has been since 2009. And then in 2008, became the manager of Olympiacos in Greece winning the double the league and the cup in his debut season. Of course, the Liga fans will also know him from his one-year piece at Villarreal and Valencia before returning to Athletic Bilbao for the last five seasons. Now, of course, some of the moments that Barcelona fans will remember about Valverde aren't necessarily good ones. As in August of 2015, you'll remember he got the Lions at their first trophy in 31 years after beating Barcelona for the Supercopa de España, or, you know, the Spanish Super Cup. Here in the States, 5-1 on Agarit. We all I mean we all remember that one. Um, mm-hmm. And he also had over 320 wins in his managerial career, having won about 51% of the games. Now, here's the note, Frances, is that for context, Luis Enrique, before coming to Barcelona to become the first team manager, he'd only won 42% of his games, and then he won 76% of his games while with Barcelona, that being Luis Enrique. And on... The other side of it, Valverde has won 51% of his games already. So even though it doesn't seem like he's had enough success, I think it's really dependent on the teams that you've managed. I mean, obviously, where with Bilbao, particularly when he got started in 2003-2004, Bilbao wasn't necessarily back to the levels that they are now and that their highest levels that we've seen them at throughout their club's history. Yeah, definitely. And uh, to be honest, you need to take all of those stats with a pinch of salt. Um, Guardiola had technically won nothing before he got to us. Obviously, he, he was coaching our B team and uh, our B team got promoted um, a couple of times in two years, which is fantastic. But um, Guardiola had never really managed uh, at the top level before and uh, we all know how that panned out. So all of those stats, I tend to take, you know, uh, as an aside, as something that to sort of look back at, but um, not as a decisive factor moving forward. Now, personally, I think that Valverde is not going to have an easy job moving forward at Barca, um, although I think he's got the skills to do so. He needs to take Barca to the top. Um, he he has succeeded with Bilbao in the past in, in European competitions, and as you mentioned, he's done it with Espanyol as well. But um, at Barca right now, we can't have another year of reaching the quarterfinals in the Champions League. It has to be better. Um, finishing behind Madrid in La Liga... That really hurts us, and that is just no, no longer acceptable. If you look back 10, 15, 20 years ago, finishing second in La Liga and winning La Copa wouldn't have been considered a failure of a season. As, th- as things stand now, um, we're not satisfied with that. Now, Barca as well has to reduce the independence on the MSN Trident. Um, Messi, Suarez and Neymar have been fantastic, but uh, the team tends to depend too much on them. Now, this season, 111 goals in 148 appearances. 
but that was 131 in 151 appearances last season. So the MSN continues to be um, to play a huge role in Barca's attacking power, and the team at this moment in time seems to be breaking a little bit in midfield, and um, you know in order to support the MSN up front. But you know that needs to change. We need more goals coming from midfield. Um, as you mentioned before the podcast, um, the La Masia Academy needs to be utilized to its full potential. And Valverde has a difficult job in hand in order to promote players um, that will ultimately be able to, to, to perform at that level. Rafinha, Sergio Roberto, they've had a secondary role this season. Um, Sergio Roberto has played more. That's, that's you know, that's, that's, that's a fact. But ultimately, he's played out of his preferred position. And um, being able to get players promoted from the B team and the rest of the academy that can succeed at first team level is, is a must. We've got Alenia, Carlos Alenia, who is the next in line, but um, only time will tell if he actually has the level or not. Then another point is to ensure that Messi takes controlled rests. Now he's famous for wanting to play every single second in every single match, but um, he's played 52 games this season, 49 the previous season, 57 the season before that. So at 30 years old, Messi needs to begin to understand that he just doesn't need to be playing every game. Um, if you've got a backup, say Alcácer, for example, in the last 5-10 games, he's been better. So if you've got a backup player that um, can give him rest, then he should just take it. And uh, Valverde is going to find that a challenge, trying to convince Messi and Suárez and Neymar, for that matter, to take a rest because we do want Messi to finish his career at Barca. He has said he wants to finish his career at, at Barca as well. But um, between all of us and definitely himself, he needs to be protected. Yeah, Francis, I, I think that this summer, though, we have to look to it, the lighter workload of international play for the front three, as in Messi, Neymar, and Luis Suarez. They won't be playing as much. You know, there is no... Um, there is no Copa America this, this summer. There is no, um, of course, there is no World Cup. And so those three might have a little bit of a lighter workload this summer, get a little more time away. And I think that should pay dividends as well next season. No, that, that really should help. That really should help. Um, not having Messi engaged in any international games uh, will help the squad. And uh, I think that links really well with the next point I was going to make, which is Iniesta. Now, I've talked about Iniesta at length in our previous two episodes. I think he's key to Barca's present. Obviously, he's been key to Barca's past for many years. But at present and future, he has to be. Valverde needs to convince Iniesta to stay. He is the key to pass the button to um, Denis Suarez, Rafinha, uh, Samper, if he comes back, and Alenia, um in order to take the, the Barca team into future success. We've got Busquets. Busquets is obviously a different type of player, though. Iniesta has to be convinced to stay. I think he will. I think he can be convinced because, you know, where else is he going to go? Um, just this week, he he tweeted a picture of Totti, uh, which made me think, yeah, we want Iniesta to be the Totti at Barca. So um, ho hopefully that that is a point in our favour. Now, the last challenge I wanted to talk about in terms of Valverde taking over at the Camp Nou is the fact that he needs to improve relationships with the media. At Barca... We were very keen on Pep Guardiola because of his success um, on the pitch and the fact that he won 
huge amount of trophies for us, which Luis Enrique has done, to be fair, as well. But um, the relationship with the media with Luis Enrique has been horrendous. Um, if you have ever witnessed um, a press conference in full, it's just he's constantly sort of defying. He's always trying to work out why the media are asking questions in one particular way. And uh, that has put a little bit of a damper on, on, on the mood in the Camp Nou. Um, hopefully Valverde will continue with his sort of calm approach that he has he has had throughout his managerial career and player career and uh, improve the relationships with the media. And the final point is um, Valverde needs to work on improving the defence. Um, we've got Piqué that has performed at a good level this season. We've got Umtiti, he's been very good too. But um, with 37 goals conceded in 38 La Liga matches, um, it's, it doesn't take a genius to understand why we haven't won the league. Um, so that's one of the points that Valverde needs to be working on in the coming season. Well, you mentioned Luis Enrique in there, Francis, and that brings us to question number two of the day, and that is the farewell message that Danny Alves, of course, our former Brazilian, right back, and one of the guys that we had tabbed as probably the most influential Brazilian to play for Barcelona, and basically to sum up what Danny Alves said, he said that it was a pleasure to work with Luis Enrique, and he valued his intensity, both in football and off the pitch as well, and he, you know, wrote this long face, uh, social media post, excuse me, about Luis Enrique, and so the question that we're posing is, what do you think is Luis Enrique's legacy at Barcelona, and to go first on this one, I think it was a success. Even though he only got one Champions League, from in the 20, of course, in the 2014-15 season, he won three straight Copa del Reyes, two La Ligas, and one FIFA Club World Cup, as well as some other Super Cups, nine trophies in all. He was the Liga Coach of the Year, FIFA World Coach of the Year, and a number of other manager and coach of the year trophies from different organizations, of course, in the 2015 season. That was the one that Barcelona steamrolled Juventus in the Champions League final. And so looking back, I think Luis Enrique, um, especially the team that he collected, while, of course, this season might still leave a sour taste in people's mouths, Luis Enrique, throughout the rest of his tenure at least, had really done nothing but win um, and particularly in the 2014-15 season, if we're just looking at that season as one individual um, season or as one individual snapshot of his legacy, I'd say that it was um, overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, I agree. I agree that obviously, as I said before, the media and some of the fans just don't necessarily enjoy his demeanor and the fact that he's quite short and sharp when he's answering questions. But ultimately, what do we want? Do we want someone who's going to be successful, who's going to play attacking football, or we want someone who is going to tell us what we want to hear? And um, I, for one, nine trophies in three years, the ones you just mentioned, won 137 games, drew 22, lost 21, and uh, that's out of 180 games altogether, with a 76% winning percentage. I don't think any managers around the world right now uh, would be able to get such positive stats. Um, I would even put it as the third most successful manager in in Barcelona history uh, behind Pep Guardiola, who for me is first, and Johan Cruyff. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned about um, only one Champions League in three years. Now, 
throughout 117 years of Barca history, we've only won the Champions League five times. That is not a lot considering the span of time that we're talking about. So if in three years he's managed to win the Champions League one, that in itself is a huge achievement. Um, and I do understand that there's people that don't like him, but um, it's more a personal thing. It's more a sort of appearance thing than anything. He's been a fantastic manager for the club. Uh, yes, of course, he's got flaws. Uh, he's signed some players that haven't performed. Uh, yes, he had a, you know, a clash with Messi a couple of seasons ago in San Sebastian. Um, but ultimately, Messi has continued to improve under him year on year. Um, two, three years ago, especially when he was picking up uh, hamstring injuries and, and, and of sorts, um, we weren't sure whether he was going to reach his full potential or you know what he used to do before. But I would say Messi in the last couple of seasons, and definitely this year, has continued to improve. And... Uh, a lot of people say, yeah, but, you know, Messi doesn't really need a coach. Messi just needs someone who lets him do what he wants. Well, yes and no. There needs to be a degree of um, confidence, a degree of trust, but ultimately a degree of guidance as well that Luis Enrique has been, has been bringing to the table. And um, also he's extended a winning generation because if you think about it, Puyol, Xavi, you can argue that Abidal, Villa... Pedro even, they're no longer here. And uh, he has managed to, with investment from the board, improve the team year on year. Obviously, players like Xavi or Puyol, they're irreplaceable, but he's, they've continued to make signings. They continue to um, give playing time to players who have taken that generation and extended it a little bit further and managed to win nine trophies in three years, which I would sign right now any paper, any contract you can give me, if Alberto could win nine trophies in the next three years, I would sign right now and I would put him fourth as the most successful manager behind Pep, Johan and Luis Enrique. We know that the success of Barcelona and Valverde, of course, is going to be solely dependent on that uh, Argentinian playmaker you kept me- mentioning in Messi. And that brings us right to our quick fire questions today. As Rob asks... Will Messi end his career at Barcelona? And then he has a follow-up and he says, would you take Pep back? Right. Uh, will Messi finish his career at Barca? Yes. Um, I think he will stay with us for, for years to come. Obviously, the British media particularly, um, and the media around the world really, love making up stories about him joining Chelsea and joining any any other team. But uh, he, he's here to stay. He's not going to go anywhere. And uh, if he ever leaves us, it will be when he's like 38, 39 years old and he's gone back Yeah, gone back to Argentina to keep his promise. Uh, would I take Guardiola back? No, I wouldn't take Guardiola back at all because he doesn't want to come back. And uh, at Barca, uh, if someone doesn't want to be here, we don't want him. And uh, if he wants to go and succeed in Man City and Bayern Munich and whatever else, then good luck to him. We were very grateful for what he did with us. But if he doesn't want to come back, then no, I don't want him. Now, I, I, for Messi, the point, I had my own notes to myself. And the, what I had written was, of course, I do believe that he will fulfill his promise and end his career in Argentina at Noel's Old Boys. But, of course, with, you know, not, and not to throw a slight at the defense in the Argentinian first division, but you see a, a number of Brazilian and Argentinian players see out the remainder of their days playing close to age 40. 
you know, when they go and they play and finish their careers in South America. So Messi could, you know, conceivably play at a high level, you know, until he's 36, 37, 38 in Barcelona. So to agree with you, I think that Barcelona will be the only European team that Messi ever plays for. Um, And then on the subject of Pep, I would actually say that, again, I'm not in Catalonia, you know, from a spectator's perspective, you know, from afar overseas, I would say that, yes, I would take Pep back, but to agree with you, only with the caveat if Pep has, I guess at this point, done an about-face and has kind of rededicated himself to wanting to be there, you know, because with the intensity that Pep Guardiola manages with, we've seen that he's had great success at, you know, since then at these major clubs, but in the same way, it seems like what he's always tried to do has best fit Barcelona, and while Bayern Munich, you know, had their own players and he got to use some new tactics there, his Manchester City, at least in year one, he is almost trying to reshape it like Barcelona was, you know, and so obviously him coming back to Spain would tell you that, you know, he has the, not the pedigree the first time, but I, I think he would try to remold Barcelona in the way that they did the first time, and that's a way that I would take. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think he, he will come back. He's uh, he's very He's very clear on the fact that, you know, I'm going to do a job here and there and then I'm going to leave. Um, he did it as a player as well. If you remember, he went to, to Brescia and uh, he spent a couple of seasons there. He even play, went to play in Mexico and he had a couple of seasons. Um, I think it was one season in Mexico. But um, he's a man of projects. So he's got a project. He develops it. That's his best. Arguably, you can say he's very successful. I think what he's done at Man City this year is also pretty good. But he's just putting the foundation to move forward. And uh, I don't see him coming back. Well, he is involved in our Quick fire question number two. Sheeta asks, what's happening to our youth team is no longer functioning like during the Guardiola era? And to that, I would say nothing has happened to the youth academy in terms of the youth squads. I mean, you looked at their records this year. They dominated basically at every youth level, winning trophies everywhere. In, even if Barcelona B, which is a shame, doesn't wind up getting through the the playoff promotions and gets back to the second division in Spain, they still wound up being first in the league. I know it's in the third division, but for Barcelona B, that's even a success. And then throughout the rest of the youth levels, they, you know, I think they won close to 12 to 14 trophies at every youth level. Um, So that just tells you that, you know, the the youth teams are all succeeding. I I think what the question that Sheeta is actually asking is what happened to the pipeline between the youth academy and the first team? And to me, that's a twofold answer. And it's that they have the talent blocking them in front of them. And then, of course, that's going to force players wanting playing time elsewhere. And then part two is that even at the youth level, players are having a hard time believing that they're ever going to get there. And so you're losing youth academies, yeah, youth academy players now before they ever really get on the radar of, you know, fans who are only really looking at the first team or even Barcelona B. And my best example for this right now is Jordi Mbula the young Spanish winger where he's getting courted by all of these major clubs, you know, particularly Monaco and Dortmund, Benfica. They're all looking at him and trying to pull him away, basically promising him now at the age of 18 that he could get, you know, sporadic first team appearances as they do, as those three clubs in particular, of course, hand out a lot of first team appearances to teenagers. 
And for Barcelona, they just cannot make that promise. Barcelona's countering by saying, oh, we can give you first-team training sessions. You'll definitely play for Barcelona B. So, yeah. I, and, for, and to that point, what's happening there is that Barcelona, they're kind of, I, I don't know if it's between contract negotiations or what it is, but they seemingly are losing the upper hand in those negotiations where they have to put in these buyback clauses, and it seems like the release clauses for these youth players just aren't high enough to keep them around. Because other teams find that, you know, of course, a future Barcelona star, he's a bargain at $3 million at the ripe old age of 19. Yeah, I, th- I think we need to sort of, what all you're saying is I agree with. And uh, that's pretty much the, the argument made. But um, I would add that, you know, having a player like Messi or Puyol or Xavi or Guardiola or um, Pedro even coming through the academy, that that's exceptional. You know, like La Masia... It's a fantastic academy. There's a lot of kids from from local Catalonia teams like San Gabriel and Gaba and Castel de Fels and all sorts. Um, that that you know when they excel in the team, they go to Barça. Then you've got the layer of the um, national players that go and live in La Masia, and then you've got international players. Um, a lot of players coming from Brazil, particularly in the last decade, and uh, but other areas such as um, there's a couple of players from the states actually. And uh, players from France, players from from the Netherlands that, you know, they move and they basically give up their families to to come and succeed. But it is an exceptional thing to do. And and we can sort of lose track of the fact that no academy in the world has ever produced a Messi. That's just been us. And it could be a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Now, we know how to produce those sorts of players. We just need to continue to build at it. But um, the academy has been successful this year, as you mentioned. And uh, Barca B, they're very close to getting promoted. Obviously, they lost uh, in the first playoff round, but they still have a chance. Um, they just made it complicated for themselves because they need to win um, six matches now. But um, ultimately, they could still get promoted. And um, if a player excels there, they could start training with the first team. And then, you know, Sooner or later, they could they could be starters in in the team, like Alenia, for example. But it's it's I think it's it's unrealistic to expect a new Messi or Xavi every single year. Yeah, I mean even a Busquets every single year. Yeah, I I, I mean we do look at it, and you know, Frances, we'll probably say it every other week that Barcelona, particularly under Pep Guardiola, while he of course did a wonderful job of grooming that talent. In the same respect, the the natural talent that you got in such a short amount of time was simply unparalleled. And Barcelona, and I mean any other club, can't really find it anymore. The best way to fill your starting eleven with top quality world talent now is simply you do have to fill in the pieces around the one or two guys that you can bring up from your youth academy. And unfortunately, that's the way it works. But you know, I, I think talking to a Sergio Roberto type player having your youth academy players like Rafina and Roberto fill in and be those utility players and be those players that still make 30 appearances in a season um, even if they come off the bench I think that's an important note an important piece of pride when you talk about the elite clubs yeah definitely and um, Iniesta wasn't starting many games in his first three four years 
as a first team player. So expecting Rafinha to just come in and knock, and knock say, Rakitic out of the starting eleven is unrealistic. But um, I think it's all about being patient and uh, going sort of full circle here. I really do think Valverde is the right person to do that. He's um, always done it. He did it at Espanyol particularly and definitely now at Bilbao as well. Um, he has trusted the academy and uh, that is something that one of the key reasons why I think Valverde is the right choice. And you mentioned Iniesta. Our last quickfire question of the day, Charlie asks, how much truth is there to the rumor that Iniesta is leaving in the summer? And yeah, I mean, I would let you go first, Frances, but if you can come up with a number less than zero. <laughs> no, I can't. Um, Iniesta's not leaving. Um, that's it. That That's the answer. Iniesta's not leaving us. He's been with us since he was 12. I was fortunate enough to be... My brother was part of the team when he came to us at 12 years old. Uh, so he was teammates with my brother. I know the family pretty well. Um, and we've kept in touch over the years. I can tell you right now, Iniesta is not leaving. He That guy doesn't have normal blood. It's blau and grana and he's definitely not going. Obviously... He may, you know, his agent and that may play with the press a little bit, but where is he going to go? You know, he, his home is here, his family is here. And uh, he left everything behind in Albacete to come to us at 12 years old. He's not going to go now when he's on top of the world. No chance. Yeah, I would, you know, even with the argument that what if he had a poor season this year? What if he had slowed down, you know, particularly in the last year we saw with, with Xavi? But Iniesta this year... Yes, he had up and down moments, but by and large, the midfield just didn't look as good when he wasn't on the field. So that tells you how important Barcelona's midfield is, or how reliant they are still on Iniesta. And I think when it gets to the point when Iniesta just can't be the, the guy that the rest of the midfield rely on, then you can ask those questions about how much longer does he have, but not necessarily... You know, will he be leaving on his own accord at this point to a you know major club to try to win Champions League, et cetera, et cetera? And I, I think another point to that, uh, Frances, is of course living in the states. While we don't need to talk about the MLS, and our viewers don't, I mean, our listeners don't want to hear about the MLS. Well, you know, when you saw Terry Henry leave Europe and coming to the New York Red Bulls here in New York. You know, it kind of, and of course, um, with Pirlo coming here as well, David Villa, so two more, I mean, former Barcelona players in Henri and Villa, both coming to the States in New York. You have guys that have come to either the United States, or of course, we talked about South America earlier, and they finish out the careers there. But to me, Iniesta, as you mentioned, has never had the personality of a guy that's going to want to finish his club in the United States or in Mexico or in South America. He seems like a guy that if he didn't finish his career at Barcelona, it would be somewhere very, very close to Barcelona, somewhere in Spain, and most likely not even in the first division. <laughs> no, I can't. Um, Iniesta's not leaving. Um, that's it. That That's the answer. Iniesta's not leaving us. He's been with us since he was 12. I was fortunate enough to be... My brother was part of the team when he came to us at 12 years old. Uh, so he was teammates with my brother. I know the family pretty well. Um, and we've kept in touch over the years. I can tell you right now, Iniesta is not leaving. He That guy doesn't have normal blood. It's blau and grana and he's definitely not going. Obviously, 
he may, you know, his agent and that may play with the press a little bit, but where is he going to go? You know, he, his home is here, his family is here. And uh, he left everything behind in Albacete to come to us at 12 years old. He's not going to go now when he's on top of the world. No chance. Francis, are you begging for a new sponsor? Is that, that's what? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's what it sounded like. Um, and yeah, wouldn't, it wouldn't it be egg on our face if, if uh, in, again, it would break our hearts, but wouldn't it be egg on our face if Iniesta wound up, you know, signing for a Chinese Super League team for, you know, 80 million, you know, in a month. But of course, we know that won't happen. No, no, I, I probably have to uh, use my influence to, to get a new sponsor thinking about it. That's a great idea, Dan. <laughs> great idea. Those are our three quick fire, rapid fire questions of the day. And of course, the big question of the day, of course, was the topic we started the show with is, do you think Valverde will be more successful than Luis Enrique at Barcelona? You can let us know about it in the comment sections below. And remember that some of the most passionate reviews come from you, the Barcelona podcast community. We love to hear your questions. Of course, you know we're going to answer them. Um, and if we have too many, we'll get to them eventually in a future show. Of course, we want you to subscribe. We love it when you give us customer reviews. You can hit the like button on different social media. And you can check out all the links, exclusive deals that we have, including the one with Fubo TV, of course. And you can keep following us at thebarcelonapodcast.com. And until next time, of course, Frances, what do we always say? Forza Barça. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.